We've said before that we think nonprofits have similar concerns to small businesses, keep the lights on, keep people engaged, and keep the mission at the forefront. Which is why we're pleased to host Joan Gustafson, External Affairs Officer at the Michigan Nonprofit Association, where, among many roles, she's had a hand in keeping hundreds of nonprofits above water while we collectively navigate 2020. We're excited to hear her story and get a peek into what's coming up for our state and the MNA in the months to come. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity in business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Jen, what do we have? Novu Sangaree. This is like a take on a sangria for fall. You guys, this has um, red wine, Pinot Noir, apple brandy, a little bit of gin, some maple syrup, bitters, and then it's garnished with apple slices and grated cinnamon in a martini glass, which makes it extra fancy. So this is our new go-to fall sangria, so to speak. Thank you. It's so delicious. Very mellow, very smooth and warm, perfect for a fall. So Joan, I've been dying to kind of talk to you. I feel like the Michigan Nonprofit Association has had probably the busiest year in my adult life because this has been the craziest year. So I'm kind of excited to talk to you and hear a little bit about what got you to where you are and what you guys have been up to. Well, you said it. It has been an absolutely crazy year. I really, when I think back to the spring, I I really don't remember much of March and April. <laughs> I was so busy at work and with the pandemic hitting and with the just a large number of deaths and illnesses, it was a very scary time. And, um, and then, you know, what we didn't even know then is that it was going to get worse before it got better. And the nonprofit sector, of course, uh, was on the front lines doing everything they could to address the the medical concerns, the health concerns, and then, you know, food concerns and housing and all the things that happened as the economic fallout became more and more apparent. Um, You know, nonprofits have always worked in communities and have always served the most vulnerable. But honestly, I don't think there's ever been anything like this that most of our members and the organizations have experienced, even, even back when the recession hit, when times were tough. I mean, this was just unprecedented. You know, as you said, those organizations in our communities that um, are the first to step forward when there's a need. And so certainly we saw that happen, you know, day after day. But at the same time, those organizations were hurting too, uh, and they needed support. So talk to me a little bit about how that how that worked together. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, in addition to, you know, helping co- the communities and stepping up for people who needed them the most, they also had to worry about their own sustainability and making sure that they were financially stable and healthy in order for them to continue doing the work that they do. And we saw it early on, um, in particular with the food banks. Um, it was just, the, the pictures and what we saw of the miles and miles of cars waiting in line for food where, you know, the, the staff of nonprofits and others had to continue to do what they were doing, but do it in a safe way with, with um, changing 
their operations to make sure that their staff was safe and that they weren't spreading the virus. So all the personal protection equipment that was needed for that. And, um, but again, like you said, at the same time, wanting to make sure that their own financial health was intact so that they could continue, you know, helping others. And so when the federal government started to pass the COVID relief bills for small businesses and for large businesses and, and for everything in between, um, we were very um, strong in our advocacy to make sure that nonprofits were also included in those relief packages and that nonprofits had the same access to capital that other businesses had in the state. And for the first time ever with this COVID legislation, nonprofits were included in that and were able to apply for loans, the PPP being one of the most common ones. Um, but for other uh, loans and grants to make sure that their operations could continue. Did you find that that was, it's, it's an amazing bit of advocacy on the M&A's part. Did you find that that was true across the country where other states were your counterparts and other states uh, rallying for the same thing? Yes, most definitely. Um, Michigan Nonprofit Association is a member of the National Council of Nonprofits and it is a, a network of state associations throughout the entire United States. So my colleagues and I worked together on all, you know, on a lot of issues. But when this came up, um, really, we, we banded together, we had our collective voice, and we worked, you know, very hard to make sure that nonprofits were included in these relief packages. And one thing that was interesting was that when the PPP, for example, became available and the, the Small Business Association was the organization that administered those loans and then local banks administered them here in the state. But the application process was designed for small businesses. It was not designed for nonprofits. And so we were successful early on, and then we had to continue to advocate, work with financial institutions and work with others to make sure that even the application process would work for a nonprofit model um, as opposed to a business model. So uh, the advocacy continues. We want to make sure that nonprofits have parity when it comes to uh, different programs and Mm -hmm. um, not just, you know, COVID relief programs, but really anything going forward. And the pandemic, as it has put a spotlight on so many things, uh, really put a spotlight on, on that for us um, at the association as well. That's so interesting to me. And can we actually, though, back up? I would love to hear, hear you give us sort of the overview of nonprofits and the function that they play in our society. So we're talking about how you were able to advocate for nonprofits, but let's let our listeners kind of understand the role nonprofits play. And I think when we were talking to you earlier, a nonprofit could be a two-person organization or a 200-person organization with budgets that vary widely. But I think the nonprofit role in our state is so important. So you've been advocating for them your whole time, pre-COVID, and now, and now you're doing it in new ways. Right, uh, exactly. So 
The nonprofit sector here in Michigan is so large and so diverse. And as you said, it can be a very small volunteer-led organization or all the way up to a very large anchor institution like a hospital or a university. And nonprofits, um, their business model exists because they decrease the burden of government. The work that nonprofits do is usually doesn't have like large margins. And so businesses, it's not worth a business doing that type of work. And government isn't the most effective uh, sector to do a lot of this work either. And so the nonprofit sector fits that bill. We do things that don't make sense financially for a business to get involved in, but we do things much more efficiently. We're much more nimble and efficient than having the government do those kinds of of activities. And we're in communities um, and work in communities, you know, with the most vulnerable of among us. I mean, people who are food insecure, people who are housing insecure and everything in between. They're, they're those kind of health and human services nonprofits we're hearing a lot about right now because of the, the pandemic. But there are so many other types of nonprofits, the arts and culture organizations, environment, and all the, the groups that help communities be very strong and very healthy. And, um, you know, we've known here at, at MNA that uh, community and civic engagement are, you know, those types of pro- programs keep communities very strong. And so, in addition to us advocating at the federal level and the state level to make sure that nonprofits have a really strong operating environment and that regulations and laws, you know, aren't hindering nonprofits to do their work, we also get involved in a lot of civic and community engagement programs because. You know, we know that communities are healthier when people are connected. And so I think that's one of our very strong values and one that, uh, again, that we're seeing is so important um, when when tragedies and, and when things like this happen in our in our society. Yeah. And I think that's a really helpful overview. And I think it's a it's a good time to, to remind uh, listeners that just like when the stay at home order was lifted, and there was a kind of a resurgence of shop local and, you know, get takeout from your, your favorite restaurant that you want to see on the other side of this, um, you know, buy, get your next shirt from the shop that you want to see on the other side of this. It's the same thing for the nonprofits, you want to make sure that the organizations that you find contribute to your um, your community in the most rich way, whether that's arts and, and culture, or it's those critical um, cornerstones that help the most vulnerable populations. If you're able to donate to those organizations as well, as well, just to make sure that th- they're able to contribute back on the other side of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been working very hard to like, here's this one example of uh, the advocacy work that we're doing at the state level is trying to get uh, the charitable tax credits reinstated. I mean, it's a win-win of somebody donates to a charity and they get a, a tax break. You know, the charity gets funding and the taxpayer gets a little tax break on their um, return. And so those types of charitable tax incentives, we work very hard to get, you know, to you know, in, um, incentivize people to give to charity. And also volunteerism is another 
area that's very important to nonprofits. And that's been extremely difficult during COVID because, of course, you know, we have people haven't been able to get out. But I'll tell you, so many organizations have been so creative in the different ways that they're um, interacting with people. You know, there's virtual volunteerism now. So groups like Big Brothers, Big Sisters are utilizing Zoom just like the rest of us <laughs> to keep connections with their littles, uh, the bigs and their littles. <laughs> and um, we're, you know, organizations are, are coming up with as many new and different ways as they possibly can to keep people connected. Have you found that a lot of your member organizations have needed support or brainstorming or are they organically coming up with these solutions? What what has been your role or what have you seen as the trend for nonprofits being innovative during this time? They've been very creative and we've always known that the organizations that are in the neighborhoods and are working with people day in and day out day out normally are the are best <laughs> equipped to understand what the people that they serve need at any given time. And they've been um, just very, very creative. So one example, you know, I think I told you that um, Michigan Nonprofit Association, in addition to advocating uh, to our legislators and lawmakers and whatnot, we also manage a number of what we call civic and community engagement programs. And the biggest one was the census that we were involved with, making sure that everybody knew that if you fill out your census, that means that, you know, thousands of dollars come into the state for these programs that I'm talking about that are so important, the food assistance and workforce assistance and medical assistance and all the things that are so important to the state. So when the pandemic hit and all the nonprofits had all these activities planned in the spring in order to get out the count, right, get out there in communities and educate everybody on why they needed to fill out their census. Well, all of a sudden, all this, all the activities were canceled. And so we, like everybody else, had to think of different ways to, to talk to people. So we did go to places, the few places where people were still gathering. So grocery stores and um, food banks and different places. But as time went on and, and nonprofits were continuing to get out in the communities safely, you know, with the PPE and everything, they came up with all kinds of new ways. Where could they interact with people? Where are people still going? And so they would go to laundromats and talk to people because these people still had to do their laundry, even though they had been to all the food banks in their area. So then they started to think, well, where else are people still going? So the, you know, those kinds of ideas. Another one was they worked with a, a mechanic shop and told people that they could have their headlights and their taillights looked at. And if they were burned out, they would replace them. And while they were there, they had everybody in line fill out their census. So just really interesting ideas like that, that local nonprofits came up with to basically find a new way to interact with people because people just weren't gathering in big events the way that they had in the past. These are amazing ideas. And, and I think Jen and I have talked a lot about how innovative business have, has had to be during this time. And certainly that extends into the nonprofit and advocacy sector as well. You know, you talked about how large the, the nonprofit sector is in Michigan and kind of the scope of 
you know, from the smallest to the largest, give us a sense for really truly how many nonprofits are in Michigan. And, you know, what is the anticipated turnaround time for some right sizing with it, with this economic impact? And, and what, what does MA think about how the industry will maybe shrink a little bit? Well, the last time that we did our study with the uh, public sector consultants um, did a study for us in the, I believe it was 2018. And at that time, they found there are approximately 50,000 nonprofits in the state. And so to your point, um, most of those nonprofits didn't have, you know, resources in reserve more than like six months to, uh, to weather any kind of, you know, change in, in, a, in, in environment. And uh, so it's going to depend when you talk about right sizing or you talk about those nonprofits that are going to continue or those that will consolidate with others. Um, there's a number of, of things that this or, you know, a no, number of ways that this might play out. But a lot of it has to do with um, how strong an organization was before this started. Um, we're finding, for example, one of the early organizations that closed were a couple of the YMCAs, but they had been having some financial difficulties even before this. So organizations that were, you know, struggling, they're probably going to be some of the first ones that, that don't make it. Also, a lot, I think, depends on, um, you know, what, the non how the nonprofit generated its revenue. You know, if you were a museum or if you're a, a, a nonprofit that relies on ticket sales or people to come to your organization, you know, come, you know, that that's really tough. I mean, there, the, the amount of revenue lost um, was, was, you know, just huge for some of those, for, you know, for some of those. Now, other organizations whose revenue had more to do with or they get it more from grants or government contracts or government grants and those kinds of things, they may be able to be sustainable for a little bit longer time. But the other thing, too, you know, I mean, the a lot of the expenses with the PPE, you know, nobody was anticipating or budgeting for that. And some of the organizations have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on that. So... Do you anticipate, you know, Jen and I, both of our organizations uh, serve your membership in, in lots of different capacities in our professional services. And we we intimately know the struggle that they have with um, with raising money. Um, often you're all the nonprofits in a certain community are, are asking for a, a donation from the same body of people and really competing for those funds. Do you think that... Um, at some point, M and A is going to help strategically recommend that some of these like-minded organizations do merge to become stronger. Is that something that you guys have talked about to start supporting them in that way? Um, I wouldn't say that we would recommend that to any organization. However, we're working with a number of groups. Um, a group called Coact. It's C O dot A C T, and the Michigan. And Michigan Community Resources, which is another organization that provides pro bono legal services and consultations. And 
right now what we're offering are um, free consultations with the attorneys or accountants and others to assess groups situation and then you know see what is the best way forward because every organization is going to have a different situation and those um, organizations um, especially there's a, a network of capacity building centers they're called here in the state for nonprofits. So while MA is a statewide organization, there are a number of regional organizations that really are designed to help nonprofits on their day-to-day operations, board governance, you know, financial types of things and take, you know, and have uh, recommendations and take over a lot of those uh, activities so that the nonprofits can completely focus on what they do, which is whatever their mission is. But some of those back-end services um, are provided from different organizations throughout the state. And so we're just making sure that everybody knows that those are available so that they can make the best decision for their organization and for their clients going forward. Do you foresee that nonprofits are going to drastically change how they navigate the waters in the future? I mean, I know as a small business, that idea of really we only have six months in the bank account feels very familiar. I know lots of, you know, my entrepreneurs are in the same boat. Do you foresee that we can get to the point where um, our nonprofit community, which is so integral to our state working properly, has a little more resiliency? I mean, will there will there be something great coming out of this year and the changes that get made? Well, I think we've been um, advocating for nonprofits to diversify their revenue stream for a long time to the extent that they can, because, you know, just relying on just one thing or another is always a little risky. And the more diverse your revenue is coming into your organization, um, you know, the better. But, you know, some organizations aren't designed for that. and it just depends. I mean, there there are a number of uh, ways that nonprofits can raise revenue. The foundation community here in Michigan is extremely strong. We're so lucky to have the number of foundations and, and the network of philanthropy that we do. They're um, unbelievably generous, have been extraordinarily flexible and understanding with everything that's going on right now, and have understood that Nonprofits do need revenue for operating their their business. I mean, they you can't just uh, fund a program and then not expect to fund all the necessary activities that go into uh, running a nonprofit, just like any other business. You have to keep the lights on. You have to pay your people. You have to pay rent. You know, I mean, all those things. And so, I think maybe what this might do will be to, um, again, underscore how important it is for nonprofits to be seen um, as a, as businesses. It is just a different business model. You know, we don't make a profit, quote unquote, but we still have to operate um, like a business, like any other business. Yeah, you make a really great point that you don't, you, different than a small business, you can't just allocate your funds in any manner that you see fit. The the nonprofit board that I sit on, we really struggle with um, 
even though we are we're amply funded from a, a grant standpoint, but our, we have no money for outreach because it's such a restricted set of funds. And so it's hard to then recruit for programming for that reason. Just to the, to the point about funding and, and co- competition, but that is one thing that, yes, while a number of organizations may be competing for the same dollars, one thing nonprofits do very well is partner and collaborate <laughs> and, you know, join forces. And I know that funders do like to see when you're bringing in different groups. And so I think there is an increased ability, again, for collaborations and, you know, to make organizations stronger, to make certain missions stronger. That might come out of this. Um, it's always it's always been in our DNA and nonprofits, but I think that that might even be stronger going forward. Could you spend a bit of time talking to us about sort of your culture at MNA and a little bit about your history and what you got what got you to here? I think that you have an interesting story and background of just your resume, quote unquote, and I think that your organization is one that a lot of people respect. So, can you give us a little window into those things? Sure. Um, well, as for me, I uh, came to M&A just over six years ago. Uh, before that, I was uh, I worked with with a um, an initiative of the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. Uh, the The program was called the International Food Protection Training Institute, and you know, building on Battle Creek's history of food safety and food science with Kellogg's and everything there, we um, developed this training institute for regulators. And it was all about how to decrease foodborne illness and pathogens and allergens and, and the like. And so I spent five years, about five or six years traveling all over the world, all over the country and all over the world, um, food safety issues. Uh, before that, I was with uh, Governor Granholm's office as her West Michigan regional director. And actually, the Battle Creek was part of my territory, and that's how I got involved with um, working with the Kellogg Company and the Kellogg Foundation. Um, but five years of extensive travel was wearing on me, and so I wanted to find a job that I lived and worked in the same city, and that's what brought me to the Michigan Nonprofit Association. So... Um, one of the things M&A does, uh, you know, we promote heavily our public-private partnerships. And so with my background in government and my background with the nonprofit and then coming to the association, uh, it was a really, a really good fit. And, you know, I like to say, too, that, you know, M&A lines up with my personal values. Um, you know, the the core focus of the organization is to be a champion for strengthening nonprofits and strengthening the communities that they serve. But um, also we have a strong now even, even stronger uh, focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. And, um, and I think the, the civic and community engagement programs that I lead are, are really, really important for that because we're leading these programs with a special emphasis on getting people involved who have historically not been involved. They have historically not been counted in the census. They're underrepresented in the, our elections. Um, and so 
you spent a lot of time over the last, oh, probably three to four years, really reaching out to those communities and educating folks on what's at stake when you sit on the sidelines and your voice isn't heard and you're not counted, whether it's in the census or anything else. And so it's been a really, um, it's a really fun, interesting job. I get to do a whole bunch, a lot of, or a whole bunch of different things, which Everybody, I used to joke, you know, there's no one who works for a nonprofit that just gets to have one job. <laughs> Usually our jack of all trades. <laughs> so, yeah, but m and is in its 30th year. I've been with the organization for six years, but we've been around for 30 years now. That's a very good run. Yeah. So what's happening with the next 30 years? What's on your plate right now? I mean, the, the census the census has wrapped, right? And the election is on its way. What's what's coming for you? What's your next project? Well, we are um, in our civic and community engagement work. We have two large bodies of work that are launching. Um, the first is our uh, our Vista program. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with AmeriCorps Vista, but M and A uh, runs the largest cohort of Vista leaders here in the state, and Vistas are uh, service members. They come and they serve uh, two years for a stipend and for an education award to help nonprofits build capacity to help them do their work, you know, their work easier. So we have a, a large program that we manage for that, and then so that's launching. And then kind of, you know, t- taking the next step from census and our uh, voter registration or nonpartisan voter registration work, we're going to be working to, again, educate people on the new independent citizen redistricting commission here in Michigan. That was passed on the ballot in 2018. It's brand new. A lot of people in the state don't understand it exactly. It's kind of wonky <laughs> talking about redistricting. But again, it's just one of those things where the more people understand, the more people that are civically engaged, that understand what goes on in their communities and are involved in their communities, the healthier and better and more fair uh, things are. So yeah, we're getting ready to launch a campaign to to work on education and awareness for that uh, big big commission that's starting right now. In fact, the commissioners were just seated and they're in process of holding their meetings. And so all of next year we'll be working on that. That's just an addition. And that's an addition to all the other work we do at M&A with resources and trainings and all the things that we do to help nonprofits uh be more effective and efficient. And then, of course, the advocacy work that we do with the state and federal policymakers. You're going to be a little bit busy in 2021. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. There's no shortage of work. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. It's, It's important to be able to provide support to those who are doing the hard and good work in our communities. I keep going back to what you said earlier, that there's a place for nonprofits that is um, the work that's not practical for government to do, and it's not practical for the private sector to do. And that's where nonprofits operate so successfully. And I've never heard it described that way. I find that very interesting. And I think that makes the whole ecosystem sort of click to me. And it was sort of an aha moment when I heard you say that. And understanding how that 
goes and what a nonprofit role is in a state and in a community. And then, then again, what MNA's role is to support our nonprofit community and keep them up and running. I find that really interesting and cool. And it's kind of inspiring. It's leaving me feeling um, really good about the nonprofit footprint in our communities and all of the hard work that they're doing. So that made, that made me happy to hear that you guys are keeping them healthy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, a lot of people don't look at it that way as an actual sector of the economy, <laughs> you know, like the for-profit sector of the economy, the government sector, and then the nonprofit sector. So, yeah, it's different business model with not a lot of margins. There's no businesses that would probably get into this line of or into a lot of these lines of work. But there's still that doesn't make them any less important to to all of us. Um, the work that we do. Well, thank you for doing the good work. So what would your one piece of advice be for anybody who's looking to get into a nonprofit lifestyle? For a lot of young people now, it isn't enough for them just to work somewhere just to bring home a paycheck. And, um, you know, I find it very encouraging, actually, um, having or, you know, started my earlier careers in the 80s when everything was all about money and <laughs> um, those kinds of things. And so it's different with now. And I, I'm very encouraged about uh, the future of the state. So many people, they want their job to, to mean something to them. You know, it's not just enough to, to get a paycheck. And for people like that, the nonprofit sector is ideal. There's as many missions as you can imagine. Anybody who, who wants to do good work uh, and make a difference, as they say, that cliche, you know, the nonprofit sector is probably for you. I'm sold. I should, I should give up on Redhead and go be, go be in a nonprofit. Well, no, as I'm joking, as Karen mentioned before, both, both Redhead and Render serve primarily advocacy and nonprofit clients. And so that's why I was so interested to talk to you today because we, we have an affinity for those, for clients who are doing good work. And I think it's interesting to hear from your point of view, how that landscape looks for them. So it's inspiring. It, it's a great conversation. I'm so glad you took the time. It is. No, thank you for all the work that you do. We need our government partners and we need our business partners for sure. Nope, none of us can do it alone. And I think even increasingly, some of some of your members are going to need to have extra an extra light sh shined on them as they move forward. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. The end of this year and next year, um, we'll see a lot of changes. I hope that they are not going to be as dire as we maybe thought earlier in the year. I hope um, the organizations are able to sustain themselves, especially with the help that we've been getting um, with the relief packages and some of the other programs that have been announced to help um, nonprofits continue to do the work that they're doing. Yeah, it sounds like you've got lots of work to keep keep you busy. So I suppose we'll wrap it with that and say... Um, on to the next thing, right? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Want to contribute to our conversation? Reach out to us on social media at Easy Underground or head over to our website, thespeakeasypodcast.com.